Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Another day of free agency and big names everywhere. Carmelo Anthony to the Lakers. Rudy Gay and Hassan Whiteside to the Jazz. Look out. What does it all mean? We don't really know. There's just tons of speculation. But Rudy Gay, size, three-point shooting, white side, pretty mobile, shot blocker. Uh, not a great year last year, but that might be the only reason you're in the Jazz price range because they're shopping at the minimum after they spent the money on Rudy Gay. So there's that. Plus, we got Summer League. Trent Forrest looked good. Trent Forrest came out. That was a nice game. Didn't get sped up by the Spurs defense. Uh, 19 points, 7 assists, Jazz win. Two of three from three. The key, really, for Trent Forrest is can you shoot? Can you make the 18-footer, the 20-footer, the three-point shot when you're open? Or when you're on the court, the team sag off you and basically just play uh, you know, five on four and say, if you want to shoot a three, go ahead, whatever. We don't believe in you. So Forrest has got to be able to make those open shots. Trent Forrest, after leading the Jazz white team to win over the Spurs. Trent, that looked pretty easy for you. <laughs> what was that like after playing last season with the team, with the main team and coming back against yeah. this group? Um, it was good just to kind of get back out there. I definitely feel like the games that I played last year helped me um, just with my growth as a player. Um, and I mean, my coaches, they've been just talking to me about the situations that I would be in this summer and kind of how those situations that I had then would kind of help me. So, I mean, just kind of learning and getting better. Uh, going along with that, did you feel like the game was almost slower for you than everybody else? Um, a little bit. Uh, I try to play with like a certain pace to my game, so um, it definitely felt a little slower than kind of what I was used to. Um, I mean, when we play with the main team, the pace is a little faster a little bit, so it definitely felt like it kind of slowed down a little bit for me. It seemed like you had pretty good chemistry with Doak out there, especially in the pick and roll. He said that he felt like the chemistry with you was good. Can you kind of describe to us how that evolved, especially not getting like regular minutes, but maybe yeah. those three-on-three three and four-on-four four mm-hmm. games you guys played? Um, honestly, with Doak, I mean, we kind of go way back. I've known Doak since eighth grade, so um, we played in camps together. Um, play AAU together so our chemistry has kind of always been there I mean we're really close always been close so I feel like a lot of it just kind of falls on how we know each other off the court so I mean once we get on the court we, we know how to play with each other so a couple questions. First, given that you know Doke better than we do, what is Doke like? Because we haven't really gotten a chance to talk to him Yeah, much. Nah, Doke, he's, he's a freak of nature, really. Like, to be that tall and be able to jump as high as he does, um, I feel like he has a lot to his game that, I mean, like you said, a lot of people haven't been able to see yet. Um, but from catching lobs to blocking shots to making hook shots, is he's gotten so much better at his free throws. Like, I mean, it's just crazy to see how far he's came, um, and especially since I've known him so, so long. I mean, I definitely feel like everybody is going to love him kind of once he starts to hit his stride. And then second question, just kind of what have you been up to for the last couple of months and what do you have planned for the next couple of months as you yeah. prepare um, for next season? I mean, after the season, I, I took a couple of weeks off just to kind of get a break, rest my body, and then I went back home, started working out a little bit. Um, 
And then I came back out here two weeks, kind of before we started back up. And I was working out with some of the coaches. And, um, I mean, I've been out here ever since. So just been in the gym, working out every day. And, I mean, that's really been about it. Anything in particular you're working on? Um, I mean, a little bit of everything. But the main focus for me has been um, my shooting. Um, so I've been working on that. And I feel like it's gotten a lot better from the season till now. And I feel like that's still going to be a focus even after summer league. So, I mean, it's been working the things that we've been doing and um, also just kind of picking up a little. I mean, I pick up quite a bit on defense, but just trying to get more aggressive on defense. Um, that's been another big thing for me. Like Andy was saying, you know Doak better than we do, and he's a pretty quiet guy, and it's yeah. kind of hard to read. So off the court, what is he like? I mean, you've known him for a long time. Yeah, nah, he he's still kind of quiet off the court too. Um, I mean, with me, I kind of can get him going a little bit, getting them talking a little more. But um, I mean, he's kind of just how he is. How you guys see him, he's gonna kind of be the same way off the court, kind of more reserved. Um, I feel like once you kind of start talking to him, then he'll kind of open up a little more. So. Um, I mean, he's kind of the same guy all the time, but once you get to know him, kind of you, you know how to talk to him and get him to open up for sure. Hey, Trent, so you mentioned that shooting is obviously the thing, you know, one of the things that you've been yeah. really trying to focus on. How is it kind of different working with coaches at the NBA level, at the professional level versus, you know, what you're able to do yeah. at, at Florida State? What's, Florida. what's been the big difference? Um, Honestly, just... I mean, they've been around guys at this level, so I feel like that's a big part of it. So they've been around, like, good shooters. Um, they've been working with them for years. I know one of the coaches I worked with worked with Royce, and I know Royce, when he came in, I heard he wasn't, like, the best shooter, but every day they just did little things to help him get better. And now, I mean, you look at Royce, I don't know what year he's in, but he's, like, a 40% shooter. So just every day, stay in the course, and I feel like, them knowing so much about the game at this level and how to get your shot off, things like that, I feel like that's what's done helped me a lot. Just as a quick follow to that, what are, what are some of those little adjustments that they've been making with you? Yeah, um, just basically being ready before the catch um, has been a big thing for me. Um, just being in rhythm, so having a rhythm as I mean just like how I play with a rhythm and pick and roll, having a rhythm to your jump shot. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing. Yes, hi. We have Cole Baggity, the Daily Utah Chronicle. Yeah, I'm just curious, what kind of a teammate is Brantley like, and what's it like to play alongside him? Nah, Brantley is a great teammate. Um, I feel like I've known him almost all my life, and I've only known him for a couple months. Um, but he's a great guy off the court. He he gets to know you. Um, and that translates on the court. He's a high-energy guy. He's going to always be talking. Um, he wants to see everybody around him do well. So, I mean, everybody on our team loves to be around him. There is Trent Forrest. The other person who looked dominant was Udoka Azbuike, last year's first-round draft pick. Eight points, 14 rebounds, four of them offensive. Uh, you know, the, the question, I think, for Doak is, can you guard an NBA pick-and-roll? Because if you can't, you'll get about 50 of them run at you. You'll just get three just pick and rolls run at you out on the three point line until the coach takes you out of the game. And that really, I don't think, is going to get tested in the summer league. Maybe it will tonight against Memphis. Memphis hammered the Jazz blue team. That, that Memphis team and the Jazz white team have more NBA guys on them. 
And they looked like far and away the two best teams yesterday. So the game tonight, maybe that'll be more telling. Maybe we'll see something in Vegas that's more telling. Here's what Oak has a week after the game. Doak, first of all, just how was it to get out there kind of for your first action in a long time and kind of a five-on-five real game on the floor? I mean, it was good. It was great. You know, like for me, I know I haven't, I haven't played organized like basketball five-on-five in like two years now, going on since, since my, uh, my senior year in college. So it was actually good just being out there, you know, trying to get it flow up the game. You said you wanted to go out there and run the floor, just kind of show some of the things that Jazz were asking you to do. Did you feel like you were able to do that? Um, yeah, for the most part, I think I did. You know, run the floor, you know, set screens, rebound the ball, block shot, you know, the stuff that, you know, that's going to translate in the, in the you know, in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the real game, like in the, uh, when the regular season starts. So I, I feel like, you know, um, I still got a long way to go, you know, I need to do a better job, but, you know, for the most part, I think I, I did it. Yeah. How are you feeling physically and conditionally, like conditioning-wise? Um, I think I'm think I'm I'm getting there. You know, I'm getting way better in my condition. You know, the coaches, you know, my my trainers, they did a good job of you know getting me in, in a great shape. You know, during practice and everything. So I think I'm I'm there. You know, I'm still like I said, it's just the first game. You know, I feel like I'm I'm gonna keep getting better and better, and you know, I'm gonna get there eventually. Doak, we saw you calling out screens and being pretty communicative on the defensive end. Uh, is that something that you already had when you left college, or is that something that you've been working on as you've been with the Jazz? Uh, in terms of the screen, calling out the screen, like I feel like, yeah, I've been had that since uh, college. You know, it's just like the reputation, you know, doing what they asked me to do, you know, calling out screens. Like I said, being that the present on the defensive end, rebounding the ball, blocking shot, you know, I feel like this, this is what I bring to the table. And, um, you know, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm, I'm trying to do it in the, to the highest level. Trent set you up for three or four chunks there. I mean, what is that pick and roll partnership like? And what does he see when you're running that play on, on the floor? Oh. Uh, yeah, I think you know he do a good job. He's the point guard, you know the coach. You know we, um, I think we have a pretty good chemistry. You know, in terms when it comes to that pick and roll situation, and uh, I think he do a good job of, you know, passing me the ball. If if it's not there, you know, kicking it out to the three point line. Uh, I think he do, he does a good job of doing that. This might be a silly question, but do you feel like the strongest player when you're out there on the floor? And what does it allow you to do against other guys? <laughs> I mean, for me, like, I'm just a dominant big, you know, even f- right from college. You know, if you watch a clip of me from college, I'm just dominant. That's what, that's what I bring to the table. And for me, I'm just going to go out there and play aggressive and play my, my, my game. So for me, you know, when I'm up there, out there, you know, my mindset is, you know, to dominate. And I don't know, you might see, make it seem like, yeah, I'm the strongest or whatever. For, in my head, it's like I'm just thinking dominate, you know, if it's rebounding the ball, if it's, you know, dunking, being aggressive, you know, that's just my type of game. So, yeah. Doak, obviously in this kind of situation, these teams are thrown together a little bit to some degree, but how helpful is it to be out there with guys like, you know, Trent and Elijah and, and Jarrell, just guys who you got to know over the past year, guys who you're familiar with a little bit? Oh, it, it, it is really helpful. You know, me, me and those guys, you know, throughout the whole season, you know, we play, we play three on three, four on four, five on five together. You know, during practice and all that, so we kind of have that chemistry build together. So it was, you know, kind of helpful. You know, just being out there with those guys. 
on the defensive end, what's going through your head when you're you know kind of deciding whether or not to block a shot and you know kind of finding that balance between trying to block every shot versus playing good positional defense? Oh, uh, it's just about timing, basically. You know, just timing. Uh, for me, you know, I kind of like try to read it in terms of oh, when to go or when not to go. And uh, sometimes, you know, it's a little bit too late, and I don't want to like kind of head uh, head job and then give my men you know wide open down. So, like I said, it's just about timing and it's just about the chemistry of it. Doug, what do you do? What do you do on off days? You play video games, watch TV. What what, what do you like when just on your off time? My my off days, I really don't do nothing. <laughs> you know, I just I just be in my room and just laying down watching TV. You know, like. Like I'm kind of new here in Utah too, so I really don't know nobody. So I just. What are you watching? I I, I watch a lot of like Sports Center. <laughs> just yeah. yeah, just watch sports. If it's maybe so, if soccer is on TV, I watch soccer. But in general, I just kind of watch ESPN and stuff. Yeah. All right, there's Udoka Azubuike and Trent Forrest after they both look good in the Jazz' first summer league game. They'll play again tonight against Memphis. The games are at five and at seven. Uh, the Jazz Summer League at the Vivint Arena. And you can listen to the games here on The Zone tonight with Scott Girard and Tim Lacombe on the call. Coming up later, we've got Eric Pincus on some salary cap issues uh, that NBA teams are facing as we get deeper into free agency. But next, Josh Newman covers the youths for the Salt Lake Tribune, and we will talk college football with him in the opening of camp next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's time to welcome in Josh Newman, Utes beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. So, secret, Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Josh, good morning. How are we doing, guys? We're doing well. You ready to take one deep breath and just dive into the season? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's that time of year. We, you know, we, uh, we got through that kind of gray area, right, between spring ball uh, and the start of camp, right? May, June, July, kind of a uh, usually a slow time. It's not so slow anymore with the transfer portal and recruiting still. But, uh, yeah, it feels good to be here and to, uh, and to finally get camp going. It's a shame, you know, way back when, when we started this radio show, which was a long time ago, you used to be able to watch all the fall training camp practices and then they limited they limited it to like the last 30 minutes and then 20 now zero <laughs> so uh, you can't get to see anything which sucks because they should have a quarterback battle going on and that's when training camp whenever practices are available to be viewed is the most interesting when they do have something and Kyle spoke last week about Cam Rising being at 95%, feeling he can get to 100% through the course of training camp. So, as far as it stands right now, how are you handicapping this particular race between these two guys with Brewer and Rising at quarterback? I don't really want to assume anything. I mean, I I, I myself was guilty of assuming things last year, yeah, right? When it was Jake right, Bentley right. with the SEC pedigree and the resume. So, yep. 
I don't want to assume anything. What I will say is, and I've written this before, I think it's going to be very hard for Ryzen to win the job, only because he's coming off major surgery to his throwing shoulder. You know, Kyle saying 95%. He told me at Pac-12 Media Day that Ryzen was fully cleared, no limitations, but his arm strength is not fully back. So, you know, read between the lines, try to glean something from what Kyle said there. I think it's going to be hard for Ryzen to win the job. That is what I'm thinking going into camp. More intrigued by the battle at quarterback or more intrigued by the battle at running back, given how much you know Kyle likes to run the ball? Probably quarterback, just because, um, look, not to say that Kyle and Utah have not had very good quarterbacks in the past, because they have, but I don't think that Kyle has ever had somebody like Brewer at his disposal. You know, um, an older guy, you know, 44 career games in the Big 12 at the Power 5 level, uh, 9,700 passing yards, 65 touchdowns, you know, played in a Big 12 title game, played in a Sugar Bowl. So, yeah, you know, it might be cliche, but, yeah, the quarterback competition, to me, is the most intriguing part of camp just because Kyle has never had a, a guy like Brewer uh, at, at his disposal, quite frankly. How much do you buy any validity to the argument, yeah, he threw for a ton of yards, but it's the Big 12, they don't play any defense? I, I, I put a lot of stock into that. Just because, you know, Not only the yardage and the touchdowns in the Big 12, you know, the kid is coming from a serious quarterback pedigree, right? His, his older brother you know, was a Power 5 quarterback. His father famously walked on at Texas, was the MVP of the Cotton Bowl back in 1982. Uh, his grandfather was the quarterback at Texas. So, yeah, I take a lot of stock into what Brewer has done at quarterback. And it, it, it's not strictly the stats. It's not strictly the yardage. Uh, I think the pedigree that he's coming from, you know, also plays a role into this whole thing. So do you think because of that, they're really going to cut loose and throw the ball? Because I think there are plenty of Ute fans reading you, listening to us, who are thinking, Kyle's going to do Kyle here, and they're going to run the ball. It's a great question. It's a great question. I think that's, uh, I think that's a key kind of uh, big-picture, overarching storyline is that how does – how does Kyle operate here? How does Andy Ludwig operate? As you just alluded to, look, Kyle's DNA forever is run the ball, play defense, control the clock. And that has served Kyle well over the years. Again, he has never had a guy like Brewer at his disposal. So, you know, does Kyle go outside his DNA? Uh, Andy Ludwig has said publicly for a long time that he will work his offense to, you know, he will he will manage his offense based on the personnel that he has. Okay, well, you know, if Brewer wins the job, his personnel is including a, a guy that can swing the ball all over the place. I think that's a great question. Uh, I think that's going to be an important thing to look at because if they allow Brewer to, you know, kind of swing it all over the place, yeah, Utah becomes a, a little more dangerous. But, again, Kyle needs to kind of go outside himself and allow himself to – to let Brewer do that. Yeah, and when you say throw all over the place, as someone who's watched uh, Utah football for almost three decades, I, I have to admit I had a little heart palpitations there uh, with them <laughs> being able to do, just not necessarily being able, but be more willing than able because, you know, I do have some doubts about them being able, but I have far more doubts about them being willing because he's built a great run. 
uh, on what we know, as you say, the the defense and all that stuff, and it's been very, very successful. So I guess I'll uh, to sort of take a wait-and-see attitude. But I was intrigued by, you know, when Brewers coming in with a whole lot of credentials, more so than they've had a few transfers over the years, certainly more than any transfer has had, and maybe more than any quarterback, certainly since they've been in the Pac-12, has had. Uh, so I'm expecting decent things from him, but I'm wondering on the other end, as far as the receiving, you know, if Covey can stay healthy, he's a player, but injuries have uh, beguiled him the last couple years, you know, and he's not big, and we all know that, and talked to him last week, and he's talking about dude, finding ways to keep himself healthy, so best of luck to him, because we'd all love to see it. But, you know, they lose Nakua and Thompson, and they weren't like all pro receivers, and I know I'm using an NFL phrase, but they were very good, and so they're gone, and they got this Howard kid, who I didn't see much when he was at Oklahoma, but I watched a lot when he was with the Bruins there in Westwood. So I'm wondering if he can be a go-to type guy, or do you think there's somebody else that can come close to getting a thousand yards receiving? Yeah, no, and that's a you know that's a fair point. I think you know, and I'm pretty sure I've written this too and talked about it. I think the the biggest question mark in terms of, you know, depth or options, I, I do think it's wide receiver. And yeah, you know, it probably hasn't been talked about enough, but yeah, Britton Covey has had a bunch of injury stuff in the last couple of years. Uh, can he stay healthy? Uh, can he go a full 12 games? Because he's very important to what, to what Utah wants to do on offense. Um, you know, you start looking beyond Covey, um, can Devon Bele finally break through, right? He had, the, you know, he had the big spring game. Uh, he, he played well during spring practice. Covey talked him up during Pac-12 Media Day. Uh, Jalen Dixon is back in the in the fold. Uh, hasn't played football in a year. He was a proven commodity when he was first here, but again, hasn't played football for a year. Hasn't been hit for a year. Can he get back to what he was? Uh, Theo Howard, as you said, very good player at, um, at UCLA. Transferred to Oklahoma. He's had some injury stuff. Um, you know, there's a transfer from USC in the mix. So, you know, that's a that's a big question mark. Yeah, maybe Brewer's a guy. Maybe he can sling it all over the place. But do they have enough at the receiver spot to to get it done? Also, look, this is Utah. You're going to be throwing it to Brand Casey and Cole Fatherham's going to be in the mix. So, um, a lot of intrigue there around the wide receiver. Again, I think that's the uh, I think that's the biggest question mark on a team that really doesn't have a ton of depth issues at at really any spot on the field. So the running back competition is uh, is crazy. Guys are coming from everywhere. You've got transfers. You've got Curry from LSU and Pledger from Oklahoma. You've got Bernard, who's been inside the program. You've got Parks coming from Florida. So how do you handicap this as these four guys come together? And all, all can make their case to a degree and pique fans' interest to a degree, but you can't feature four guys. It's got to sort itself out here somehow. No. Nope. Can't feature four guys. Uh, Kyle's been pretty consistent over the last few months. Even going back to spring ball, that uh, it's going to be running back by committee, at least to start, right? You know, look, if you think back to last season, it was kind of the same deal. You had a bunch of options with, you know, Ty Jordan just coming in, and Jordan Wilmore, and Devin Brumfield, and Makai Bernard. And for a while there, they went running back by committee. And then, as we all know, Ty Jordan kind of, you know, took the position over and, and turned into a force of nature. And I think it's going to be the same thing going into this season. You know, you've got Makai Bernard and Chris Curry and TJ Pleasure. Uh, Tavion Thomas was a late Juco get. So I think at first year you're going to see, you know, a committee situation, three guys, four guys in the mix, 
if you want to handicap who is the starting running back technically it, in the opener on September 2nd, I think Makai Bernard has, has grown enough here, has done enough good things, he's been in the program. If you're handicapping that, right now on paper with camp starting, I would say Makai Bernard is in line to get the first snap at running back. I've learned through the years in talking to Coach Whittingham that if he pumps somebody up, particularly on defense, uh, during either the training camp in the spring or early in the training camp in uh, August, that the player's probably going to be really good. And he did that last year with Nate Ritchie. Now, Nate's gone on his mission. Who do you think is going to replace him? Because that's probably about the only serious question as far as starting goes that I have. Have defensively, so I thought that I, yeah, I, I thought that that situation of safety with you know with Nate Ritchie on his mission and R.J. Hubert at best probably limited after injuring himself again. I thought that safety spot was going to be easy because you know they bring in Brandon McKinney, a safety transfer from the University of Washington, and yeah, you know you you look at McKinney. He slides in, you know, to the spot that Richie left. But then Kyle, you know, said publicly a couple of weeks ago that, you know, one of the, at least in his mind, one of the big question marks is what to do with safety. So that leads me to believe, you know, is McKinney not going to easily slide into that spot? Has somebody inside the program with maybe a year experience, two years experience, has somebody stepped up? So, you know, I I thought it was going to be easy with McKinney. Uh, Maybe not so easy based on what Kyle has said here recently. So looking at the rosters and not knowing where to go and what you, and building off what you just said, you know, they don't bring in a lot of JC guys, so I wonder when they do that what they see and why and Vontae Davis from Blinn College uh, and Jordan McMillan transferred from USC. Have you heard anything about either of those guys or is it really a mystery? It's a, I mean, it's not so much a mystery. I mean, Vontae Davis was probably one of, if not the most pleasant surprise on a defense going into last season that had a lot of question marks. You had a lot of, look, we remember that the 2019 defense, specifically the secondary, sent the whole group to the NFL. So you had a whole bunch of questions on what the secondary would look like. Vontae Davis was a program guy, had been in the program for a little while, but hadn't really had the opportunity to play a ton because, again, he was playing behind a bunch of NFL guys. So Vontae Davis steps in, and he was very, very good last season. Like, you know, one of, if not the most pleasant surprise on that defense. I think Vontae Davis is it, it is going to have a big year. Um, I think those five games that everybody played last year during COVID were, uh, you know, were critical to maturation, critical to development. Uh, and now you're in a position where, yeah, Kyle and, and Morgan Scali, they, they trust Vontae Davis. I, I think that kid is, is definitely in line is definitely in line to do something significant this season. Yeah, I view Vontae Davis in a way, maybe it's too much of an expectation, as I did Terrell Burgess. Burgess, program guy, uh, could have probably gone someplace else and played earlier, stuck it out, stuck it out, gets his shot, 
And I just saw the other day, man, that uh, what's he was. I think he's with the Rams, right? And that yeah. they they were just and he got injured last year, but they were saying, man, so far and it's just a few days, but he was one of the looking great in camp. So I don't know that Davis is going to play in the NFL, but the point being, they have a history of guys who stick with it, developing guys, and he very well could be the latest guy as far as uh, the secondary to not necessarily come out of nowhere, but play well and get himself in the NFL. We'll see that uh, what that is about as the season develops. As far as the other spots, I think they're solid up front. Linebacking position is an interesting position to me, and I know they got Sewell and Lloyd, and I can make a case that Lloyd's the, he might even be defensive player of the year in the conference, who knows, because he's that good. But I like that they've built up some depth there that they can really use this year in reserve, but also going forward, because it looks like they got a little bit of assembly line at linebacker going forward, even beyond this season. Yeah, linebacker is an interesting spot. Specifically, look, um, Ethan Caliber is one of their is one of their top recruits from this most recent cycle, right? Um, kid from California, top seventy five recruit nationally. Uh, staff really likes that kid. He can go end to end, side to side. I'm curious to see um, if he can break through and, and and really find a role at linebacker immediately. As you said, look, Devin Lloyd is potentially a first-round type of talent. Nephi Sewell was all Pac-12 last season. but And then you have a kid like Calvert coming in, you know, again with the pedigree and the hype. Freshman kid, four-star, highly rated. Very curious to see um, if and how he can kind of break through with Lloyd and Sewell getting, uh, getting most of the attention at that position. Why carry so many linebackers when Kyle has said they're basically, you know, 70, 80% of the snaps are going to be two linebackers on the field? It's evolved into a 4 2 5 just because of the way receivers line up in this conference. So, why so committed to bringing in so many linebackers? Look, you've got to have depth. You have to be, you know, preparing young guys to, to step in. I mean, look, Devin Lloyd technically has the option to return again in 2022. He's probably not going to. He's probably going to the NFL. Uh, who knows what Nephi Sewell decides to do. So you want to hit the ground running beyond this season, right? We'll play 2021. You know, your linebacking core, your defense, it is what it is now. If guys choose to leave, if guys choose to transfer, you want to hit the ground running once January comes, once spring ball comes. And that's important to keep, you know, recruiting that position hard. Uh, and they've done that. You know, they've, you know, there's a, look, there's a premium on, four-star guys, uh, guys that you believe can come into your program and make an impact right away. And Utah, you know, this isn't a new thing, right? Utah recruiting defense hard, not just the four-star guys, but identifying, you know, three stars or anybody that you think is a fit for your system. Utah has done that continually, uh, and this latest recruiting class um, is really no different. Preseason poll, particularly in the South, about what you expected? It is. It is. Uh, USC is the prohibitive favorite uh, to win the South Division based on the 40 media members that voted in that Pac-12 poll, of which I was one. Uh, full disclosure, uh, I did vote Utah to win the South Division. I just think they're better than USC. I, I think Utah has uh, more depth and more positions. Um, I think coaching continuity is super important. Right, Kyle's been here forever. Candy Ludwig is still the OC. Morgan Scali is still the D.C. Um, 
yeah, I, th- I think Utah is better than USC. But we're going to find out October 9th when they go to the Coliseum exactly what's what. You know, that you can circle that one. That's um, that's a season builder. Yeah. If Utah can if Utah can walk into Southern California and finally beat USC at USC. Do you think both teams are going to be undefeated going into that? Great question. Um, Utah should be. Um, Utah's going to be the betting favorite against Weber and against BYU and at San Diego State and at Washington State. Utah should be 4-0 going into the Coliseum. And quite frankly, so should USC. So if they're both 4-0, both are presumably ranked. That is a just a colossal game, colossal early season South Division game. And that stretch for Utah where you're at the Coliseum on October 9th, you're home for Arizona State on October 16th. If you go to bed on October 16th and you are 5-0, and having beaten USC, having beaten Arizona State, the complexion of your, of your season starts to look very, very different. You can start, as a fan, you can start dreaming about some things if you're 5-0 and on October 16th. We'll leave it right there, Josh. We appreciate the time. We'll keep reading you in the Salt Lake Tribune and uh, following you on Twitter. And uh, we'll talk to you again later this season. Great to talk to you guys. Thanks for having me. There's Josh Newman, you beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. The quarterback battle, the running back battle, two-way quarterback, four-way running back, which wide receiver steps up? Why do they have 17 linebackers on the roster? How's this all going to play out? We'll find out soon enough. Can't wait. When we come back, all right, free agency. Started with a bang. A lot of big money deals. Now it's followed up with some smaller deals. We've heard about Mike Conley. We've heard about the Jazz going out and getting Rudy Gay. Now the question is, how do they fill in? How much money is left? Not just for the Jazz, but some for some of the teams chasing the Jazz. Eric Pincus, NBA capologist and writer for Bleacher Report, Basketball Insiders, and NBA TV, joins us next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Eric Pincus, NBA writer and capologist for Bleacher Report, Basketball Insiders, and NBA TV. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Eric, good morning. Morning. Thanks for having me. So I think uh, with your background and your knowledge of the cap and the cap rules and you being a capologist, that you look at free agency a little different. Everybody else is looking at talent, and you're looking at, yeah, you got the player there, but as you try to build a team, now you don't have enough money for the other roles in the team you need filled. So with that in mind, all the deals that have been announced here, I'm wondering which ones you look at and think, excellent value there, or you think, oh yeah, that player's good, but you have really jammed yourself up as you try to complete this roster. 
Wow. Um, well, first of all, I got to say, there's so many deals. I'm still trying to make sense of it. It, it comes in so fast and furious. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the first deal that jumped out that seemed rich was uh, Jarrett Allen to the Cavs. Uh, he's a really nice young player, and I like Jared Allen, but uh, it's like a five-year deal or something like that, really long, really heavy, uh, in the $20 million range and uh, per season. And, and uh, that's great, and I, I, I'm happy that the Cavs got, got a deal done, but it just seemed a little rich. You've got Kevin Love you're paying a lot of money to. You've still got uh, Larry Nance, and then you drafted Evan Mobley, and that's just a concern where you start to talk about basketball where uh, we don't, re- at least I don't, know 100% yet if Mobley is a center or a power forward, and maybe you can go with that dual big situation, which some teams do to success, and uh, some teams in this league, a lot of them believe that you go uh, with one big, and it's just a heavy commitment for a guy that maybe fits with your star draft pick that you just got at number three. Probably does, but I don't know for sure he does. So that's one. I mean, th- there's a lot of deals that have come in. We could go through uh, a lot of them, but that's the first one that jumped out that I was like, wow, that's a lot of money. So I'm wondering if you think the Lakers are done with their free agent acquisitions, or do you think they're still debating between Eddie Jones and Nick Van Exel? Uh, well, you know, the joke is, is that they're bringing back former Lakers, right? Yeah. So Old time guys, too. Eric, that was well done. You haven't been on this show enough to know how to play that perfectly, but you just he's did. Been in studio Bravo. with us. Yeah, I know, but you got to listen over and over, and he's got stuff to do. He doesn't know. You usually are serious with guests. No, that was I awesome, mean, I've Eric. been around a while, so I'm like, you know, what about, uh, you know, uh, Pig Miller. I mean, I, I mean that. That's like what. Golden Campbell. What I yeah, I mean, but it, like I, it, I like I like the gets that the Lakers have gotten in the sense that they're all really solid. Uh, I, I, Wayne Ellington and, and Ken Bazemore are really really solid guys. I know them from the time with the Lakers. Uh, Dwight Howard is a little more of a challenge with a personality. He's got a bigger personality, but I like Dwight. I mean, he, he's he's a lot of fun, but, you know, he's also exhausting. <laughs> you know, like he's got a, he's an acquired taste, and but uh, he, he's one of the best rebounders in the entire league uh, in short minutes. I don't think he can play like 30 minutes a game, but in short minutes his rebounding numbers are, are basically on par with Clint Capella, who's uh, one of the best. So uh, th- those those are not uh, guys who are going to overtake anything. You know, they're 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 helpful guys to help the Lakers. Uh, Wayne Ellington can shoot. Ken Bazemore, uh, who's the other one? Trevor Reza is a little bit older. Uh, but you know what? The, the Russell Westbrook thing is obviously the big news. So I think that's a really bold move, and it's either really going to work really really well, or it's not. And I could see it working, and I could see it not working. Eric Pickett's joining us, uh, NBA TV, Bleacher Report, Basketball Insiders, NBA writer, and uh, capologist. So I'm curious, uh, some of the longer deals for older players, Mike Conley in Utah uh, would come to mind, Chris Paul in Phoenix would come to mind, there are probably others. Did anybody give an older guy just way too many years, or is that one way to overpay and just the cost of doing business, and you hope you win in the short run, and you just suck it up and deal with it in the long run? Well, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about um, you know, some of the older players, like if you go back further, deals used to be five, six, seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was pretty common. And, and so, 
you got Mike Conley for three years. I, I mean, so I mean, so what? Like you have, if you're the Jazz, you're one of the best teams in the West. You have an opportunity potentially to go to the finals, potentially to win it all. And if you let Mike Conley go, you can't replace him with anybody but maybe, maybe like they would have the room for a ten million dollar player, roughly, because uh, the tax wouldn't have been as much of an issue. Uh, so. Is there a ten million dollar point guard out there? And like, there are a couple of guys who haven't landed yet. Like Dennis Schroeder hasn't landed yet. He wants twenty million. Could somehow he land in Utah for for ten in a parallel universe? And is he the right guy, or do you want Mike Conley, who's been here, uh, is a great leader, is is a very low maintenance guy, and is really really talented? And I, I like Dennis in a lot of ways, but Mike is a better fit. So yeah, if you have to pay three years, then then so what? I mean, what's the window for the Jazz? Uh, is it going to be over in two? I, I don't think so. And so I think Conley's good for two. Uh, is he going to be great for that third year? It's not that far off. Maybe so. Uh, you know, the, the issue is, is he has been hurt the last few years. He was hurt uh, at a key time in the playoffs. But then so was Anthony Davis. And so was, like, I mean, everybody. Like Kyrie Irving. Like, everybody was hurt because of, you know, in theory, because of the short turnaround. So, uh, and in the last year of a contract, it's not difficult to trade somebody. It's a lot easier. So I look at it as a great deal. I mean, if, if he had gotten a five-year deal, which was possible, we would have a different discussion. But then there are some issues about over 38 rules and things like that. I'd have to check the math on that. But generally speaking, happy for the Jazz. Uh, getting that deal done, it was the right move. So same type of principle with Chris Paul? Yeah, I mean, Chris... Uh, someone had mentioned to me, and I, I, th- these are all theoretical contracts. They're agreements. I haven't seen the, anything yet. Nothing's been signed. Uh, they can't sign until the, the 6th after the moratorium. That some of Chris's might not be guaranteed. That's like two and a half years is guaranteed. I don't know for sure. Uh, but he got like a four-year deal, which was longer than I thought. And I'll say this is interesting. There's this over 38 rule that basically prevents teams from giving players uh, four-year deals or five-year deals when they're going to f- be 38 when it finishes or over 38. But there is like a, an exception to the rule, and Chris Paul fits into the exception perfectly. And also, Chris Paul wrote the rule. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was really interesting. So, you know, he's uh, he's uh, uh, the head of the Players Union. So uh, he, uh, that rule used to be the over 36 rule, and as Chris Paul has gotten older, but I think Chris has done some great things for the game, and, and he's kept the NBA rolling through uh, the pandemic. And, and you know, I know there was the shutdown, but they got basketball back to finish last year. They got it to work this year. They've gotten through a couple CBAs uh, without lockouts. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy with what Chris Paul has done. And if he's able to get a little bit extra out of it, uh, you know, good for him. So it looks like two teams that have really been active have been uh, Miami and Chicago. But have they been active enough that they're going to draw any attraction in the West or any attention in the West? I mean, the the Bulls are they're playing an interesting game because they're arguably their best player is Zach Levine, uh, an All Star, and he's headed into the last year of his contract. And they had the ability, if they wanted, to use the cap room to renegotiate 
and extend his deal, which is very rare, but it's something they could have done. And it would have cost them about $14 million. And they might have been able to get it done for less. Let's say 10 to $14 million. Instead, it looks like they're staying over. <clears throat> they got some nice pieces. Alonzo Ball is a nice player. Uh, still obviously has to prove certain, you know, that he can win. Uh, but I'm a UCLA guy, so fine. Uh, happy with Lonzo. Uh, Alex Crusoe, I know really well from the Lakers. Both are really good fits with Zach because they don't care about scoring. They care about playing defense, moving the ball. Uh, Lonzo can help your offense. Alex isn't as much of an offensive player. Um, but it, it, it's the right idea. But they didn't give Zach this renegotiation. And... Zach actually was drafted by the Wolves, traded to the Bulls. He then signed an offer sheet to go play for the Kings, and they matched. So he never actually chose to play in Chicago. I think he's very happy there. But if the team doesn't have success, he can just leave, and he's going to be one of the top free agents this next summer. So, like I said, it's an interesting game. Uh, As far as the Heat, I mean, they, they believe that if they were healthy, they would have beat the Bucks, and that uh, if the season wasn't rushed, they would have beat the Bucks. And now they added Kyle Lowry, and they stole PJ Tucker from the Bucks. So I think in their mind, they're going to beat the Bucks, and it doesn't matter what reality is; it's from their point of view. Uh, and if they could beat the Bucks, they could probably beat everybody else and get to the finals and have a shot to to maybe get the Lakers again and beat the Lakers. So uh, obviously, you'd like to say the Jazz or, or anybody else, but. Uh, well, you'd probably just have to say the Jazz, of course, if you're in Utah. But uh, I, I think the Heat are a real threat. I think the Bulls are a threat to make the playoffs. I don't think they're a threat for the West. Uh, but I do think that Miami is going to be uh, one of the top three teams in the East and arguably the top team in the East. I'm, I'm not ready to go there with the Nets uh, and the Bucks, But I think from the Heat's point of view, they're, they're capable of, of going all the way. I'm intrigued about Reggie Jackson because obviously he played a significant role in beating the Jazz in the postseason, and it seems like he's a money player for whatever that's worth. And I'm wondering what kind of money do you think he's going to get now? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, you, you bring me on as as a capologist, and you you want to understand the complications of the 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 rules. He's been with the the Clippers for two years. And so they don't have his full rights. They have what's called early bird. And when you have early bird, you can give the player a raise of up to 175%, but he made the minimum. So that's not enough or the average salary, which is roughly 10 and a half million, a little bit less than 10 and a half. Uh, but it, it, he earned in his playoff performance, probably enough to get at least 18, maybe more, uh, but there aren't any teams who are ready to pay that at this point because uh, there aren't a lot of teams with money. There aren't a lot of point guards. And the problem is is that if the Clippers pay him 10 and a half, they, he has to take a two-year deal without any options uh, just based on that rule, the early bird rule. And so he would have to take less money in theory from his point of view, not just for one year, but for two and that's the challenge. And if they don't use that exception, that early bird exception, the most they can pay him is minimal stuff. I mean, very low money, not enough to, to justify it. But he could do one year. So does he sacrifice for one year to take a really big deal the next year? And is there some sort of promise that they can make that's illegal? Can't really make that promise that they'll pay him because there's a risk that he doesn't have as good a year. So these are the kind of questions his agent has to, to decipher. 
and at the same time shop around and try to get a better deal somewhere else, that might not come. So I know Reggie wants to go back to the Clippers. The issue is, can he for the kind of money that he needs? So the Warriors are paying Curry, Thompson, Wiggins, and Draymond Green pretty close to $140 million. Oh, oh my gosh. Is there anything that they can use to bring in guys? Or are they just... Are they basically going to bring guys in on the minimum, and that is it? Well, so the the teams that have high payrolls include like the Nets, uh, the Lakers. After those, after getting Westbrook, are pretty well in the same boat, uh, and I think the Jazz are are pretty much there as well. Uh, their money's going to Rudy Gay. Uh, looks like that's what's called the room except not the room exception, the the lower mid level exception where. Uh, you have about $6 million to spend. And so in the case of the Warriors, they went shopping and uh, with $6 million and then a bunch of minimums. But because of their tax situation, which is worse than, by the way, worse than the Jazz. The Jazz will pay some tax. The Lakers will pay some tax. But the Warriors have been in the tax for uh, multiple years, so they're actually going to pay a repeater tax, which is more uh, – it's they're going to pay a ton. Let's just without getting into the numbers, it's going to be super expensive. So they're offering minimums. They got Otto Porter, which uh, Otto Porter Jr. was a guy that I think some teams would have used that tax pyramid level of that six million dollars on. Uh, but he's coming for the minimum, probably because he's been hurt, he's been on some bad teams, and he has a chance to really showcase himself. And so after a year. If he blows up and, and is a really valuable piece, he's going to get a chance to play somewhere else, probably not with Golden State. So the issue there is if they're offering minimums, they're probably getting rentals uh, for one year. Uh, or they could pay $6 million, but like $6 million might be, I don't know, 40, 30, 46 million dollars, 30, I don't know, I'd have to run the total math, but let's just call it 35 million. If they're paying Otto Porter six million, maybe it costs them thirty-six million. And Otto is really, really a nice player for them, but he's not a thirty-six million dollar player for them. So, getting him for the minimum, let alone, is still going to be expensive, but uh, not you know maybe six million dollars, which is you know stomachable. So, uh, <laughs> it's a tough, tough situation um, because they've had injuries and it's unclear how much they're paying that kind of money uh, for a championship. Uh, you know, Jazz are doing it. They're going to pay some tax, but they think they have a shot, and they probably do. Uh, the the Warriors last year were paying that kind of money, and they didn't have a shot. And this year, it's all up in the air. I hope Clay Thompson returns. You know, like I said, I'm I'm I, I want to see success. Uh, yeah, I want to see the best players in the league play at the highest level, and whoever wins wins. I want to see great competition. So I'm pulling for the. Uh, I'm pulling for Conley to do three years at a high level. I'm pulling for Clay Thompson to come back healthy. You know, I want Otto Porter to show what he could do. I want, you know, go team by team. I want to see these things work, and I want to see it on the biggest stage, and I want to see them play at the at the, at the highest level. Well, I saw Clay Thompson riding his bike on the Strand in Manhattan last week, and he looked really good pedaling. Oh well, then that's settled. <laughs> there, there it is. <laughs> All right, Eric. We appreciate your time and your perspective. Thanks for hopping on with us. All right, anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. There's Eric Pincus, NBA capologist, writer for Bleacher Report, Basketball Insiders, and NBA TV. Coming up next, what is trending? All the headlines. The summer league is underway. We'll get to that next. Stay with us.